So our scripture reading today um, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, one of the, the most familiar passages in the scripture. The closing words of that book read this way. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Won't you pray with me now before the ministry of the word? Father, we come to you um, Sunday after Sunday here um, because we want to be where you want us to be. We want to be with our brothers and sisters here at Y Bible Church. And we want to be in your presence. And we want to hear what you have to say to us. We're grateful for an opportunity to worship. And we're grateful for an opportunity to give. And we're glad to talk with brothers and sisters. We're glad to rejoice in life's events. And also carry the sadness and sorrows of those that we love here when they go through hard times. But we are so glad that you are our God and that we come here and you meet with us. We thank you for the, the treasure that you give us in your word. And we're glad, Lord, that not only did you speak the worlds into existence, but that you continue to speak to us today. And so we gather here once again and ask, Lord, gracious God, speak to us through your word. And help us, Lord, once hearing you speak, to embrace what you say and to set out in our lives to put it into practice. And as for me, Father, I pray that you would allow me, please, to disappear behind the cross of Christ that he and he alone would be exalted in our midst. And it's in his wonderful name that we pray. Amen. It is a, an awesome and frightening thing to claim to speak for the living God, and yet we preachers make that claim regularly. Every Sunday morning, when we stand up to speak, we are saying, in essence, hear now what God will say to you. And those in conservative evangelical circles especially believe that God speaks to his people today, and we often refer to the sermon as the message, not at all meaning that it is a message from the pastor to the church, but rather that it is God's message to his people in that place and at that time. 
Now that claim to speak on God's behalf could easily be dismissed by any sane person as merely the foolishness of the arrogant or even the ravings of a megalomaniac except for three things. First thing is is that the Bible clearly teaches that God desires to communicate with human beings. And he does so in a number of ways, but from 1 Corinthians we know that he has chosen the foolishness of preaching uh, to shame the wisdom of humankind. And preaching is one of his primary means of communication. And secondly, we preachers don't claim that everything we say is from God. In fact, we make it very clear that only that which comes from the Bible is of any lasting value. And finally, number three, that claim to speak on God's behalf, for those who understand it best, doesn't lead to arrogance or megalomania, but rather it produces in them humility. For we know our own sin and our own folly, and we know that we are called to this task by God's design and not as a result of any merit on our part. So though we make the claim to speak on God's part, we do so acknowledging that we also are sinners. We also need to hear his message. We speak only because God commands us. We are merely a tool in his hand, and that it is his word and his word only which is important. Now, all of that is by way of introduction to say that I believe that God has given us a message this morning, and I believe that this message could very well be a defining point in the life of our church. It is as important for us as a church, as anything that I have said. Now, if I were going to reduce what we're going to talk to about to this morning to a text message, I could say it in three short sentences. First, God has placed before us an open door. And then, whatever ha- might happen anywhere in the world, it cannot close that door And finally, we must go through that door and go through it by faith. Let me repeat that for you. God has opened a door for us. Nothing can close that door, whatever might happen. And by faith, we must walk through that door. I think that's what our Lord is saying to us this morning. Now, we've been making our way through the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and uh, currently we're looking at the seven letters to the seven churches, and today we're looking at the next to the last letter, the one to the church in Philadelphia. So I want you to join me once again in uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, where we'll be looking at verses 7 through 13. That's the last book of the Bible, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, or We have it up on the screen on either side here. Now, the first thing we need to do this morning is to remind ourselves that although each letter here in Revelation was addressed to a specific church, it was God's intention that all of the seven churches and all his people in those churches hear and understand what he says. And yet his word does not stop there. It was recorded every 
bit as much for our benefit as for theirs. And then we know that God wants all his people to hear and understand his word. And so verse 13 tells us that very thing. We read, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. God wants everyone who will to hear his word, and he addresses all of his people in all of his churches. Now, I have to tell you, I really love that appeal that's recorded for us there in verse 13. And at the end of every one of the letters here in Revelation, Jesus, when he walked the earth, used it all the time. He would be teaching people some truth, uh, often by way of a parable. And, and then he would make that statement, whoever has ears, let them here. It was a call to understand what he was saying. And often people would come to him afterwards and, and ask him to explain, and he always did. Well, the same kind of thing is happening here now, only the pastor is the one who's delivering the message, and it's the Spirit who applies it to our heart. So this letter that we're looking at today has in one sense the broadest of appeals, and yet it was addressed to a particular church. So how do we understand that? Well, I think we understand it just as we have been doing all along. We read some warning here and we take heed. Or we read a promise and we know that it applies to us as well. And the more we see ourselves in a, in a particular church, the more we know that that uh, letter applies to us more directly applies to us. And of all of the churches here in Revelation, I think our church is more like this one, the church at Philadelphia, than any of the others. The reflection may not be perfect, but I think it is awfully close. I believe the middle of verse 8 describes us almost to a T. Jesus says, I know that you have little strength, Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You know, we're a small church, and the world pays no attention to what goes on here. We're not even on the radar. The great do not know we exist. And even in Christian circles, people aren't watching us. They're watching the mega churches, such as First Baptist in Dallas. And that way we resemble the church of Philadelphia. That doesn't mean that Satan hasn't taken notice, however. He has. This church has endured his attacks just as a church in Philadelphia did. Now, this is not the time or the place to list the things we faced. Those of you who were here and endured them know what they are, and those of you who have come later have learned or will learn what they are as we walk the path together. To mention them now could only serve to distract, but they are no secret. We talk about them when it's appropriate as we continue our faith journey, when talking about them helps us in our journey. The attacks may be different in nature, but they are still Satan's attacks. And in that way, too, we're like the church at Philadelphia. 
Now, we're not going to read it. I'm going to summarize verse 9, which tells us that it was the self-righteous religious people who were used by Satan to bring grief to the church in Philadelphia. And the beginning of verse 10 tells us how those Christians responded to his attack. You have kept my command to endure patiently. Satan attacked and they endured it. They kept his word and they did not deny his name. I believe the same thing could be said of us. Some of the things that we have endured to us seemed withering. They, they fairly took our breath away when they happened, but we did not lash out in anger. We did not retaliate. We were heartbroken. We sought God's guidance. We forgave. We did our best to put his word into practice. And we endured patiently. Like that church in Philadelphia. We're small. We were attacked and yet we stood by God's grace. Our situations aren't identical naturally. No two situations are ever exactly alike. The church in Philadelphia may have been experiencing more intense persecution, but then it may not have been. The text really allows either. It's possible that what they were up against would look very similar to what we're beginning to experience in our nation, although maybe not directly here at this church. For instance, I told you briefly about this before, but in the state of Washington, a a grandmother and a Christian who's a florist, uh, Miss Stutzman, uh, a fixture in a Washington community for 37 years, found the state's attorney general, whom I refuse to name, in a highly unusual step, go after her personally for refusing to arrange flowers for a homosexual wedding, which she believed would have required her to use her personal artistry to express what she would have believed a sinful message. And the Benson County Superior Court judge, whom I also refuse to name, has officially made Stutzman's house, assets, and life savings fair game in that fierce debate over religious liberty. The court argued that the grandmother's um, relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't give her the freedom to turn down business, even if that business violates her personal beliefs. And that is just one of dozens of such cases that are happening all around our country. And how many are have simply given up their businesses, their careers, simply in order not to face such things? My own cousin would not open up a venue for weddings because he knew that battle would come. How much further will such things go? So like that church in Philadelphia, we're small and we've been attacked and yet we stand by God's grace. Things may get worse, but so far we stand. And there's this really wonderful promise in this passage too for those who find themselves in a similar way to the church in Philadelphia because... They endured, Jesus told them at the end of verse 8, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now some Bibles 
translate that verse this way. I will keep you safe in the time of trial. And I actually prefer that translation. You know, whatever your view of the end time events, God does indeed keep us safe. He keeps us through the trials we face. For the church down through the centuries, his promise has stood the test of time. Whatever the persecutions have been, Jesus has kept his people through them, even if he did not deliver them from them. You know, it's reported that those 21 Coptic Christians that ISIS just beheaded all said the same thing as they were being executed. Jesus, help me. I believe he did. They endured. They did not deny his name. Jesus kept them, and now they are with him forever. Whatever may come, Jesus will not desert us. Next to such things, what we face seem small. But we've suffered Satan's attacks too, and we too have endured patiently, and God will keep us safe through all of the enemy's attacks. Even though we're small and have little strength, we've been faithful, we've kept his word, we have not denied his name. In many ways, we're like that church in Philadelphia. So I think that we have the same opportunity that they had, which is recorded for us in verse 8, where Jesus begins by saying, I know your deeds, and I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. I, I don't want to belabor this point, but he knows our deeds too. He knows about children's church. He knows about Little Lamb Preschool. He knows about Awana. He knows about the youth group. He knows about our life groups. He knows about Tuesday night prayer meeting. He knows about your faithfulness in paying off our mortgage at a time when human wisdom said it could not be done. And that continuing faithfulness demonstrated in your sacrificial giving to build that addition without it so that ministry can expand and more than all of that he knows the way you live he knows the things you do when no one else sees when no one is looking at those things cannot be hidden he knows the love you show to one another and to those who are in need and the warm welcome that you extend to visitors then there's a whole list of things we don't we don't, we poor church politics and cliques. We're not condemning or judgmental. We don't say bad things about other churches or other people. We're not gossips and we're not exclusive. And all of those things, they point to the fact that the living God is working in you and through you and making you faithful. Jesus knows your deeds just as he knew the deeds of the churches in Revelation. And we're small, we have little strength, but by God's grace, we have been faithful. So there is an opportunity for us. Verse 8 again. See, I, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. 
Jesus opened a door for the church in Philadelphia. I believe he's opened a door for us. Now I'm going to come back to this. We want to talk about just what that door is. But first I think we need to understand something else about it. One thing I, I will say now, however, is that whatever that open door is, uh, the blessing lies on the other side of it. So we've accomplished the first part of our objective. That's the first part of this message. God has placed an open door before why Bible Church. And you can understand why we can believe that. The second thing we need to understand is that no matter what happens in the world or in your life or in the life of this church, Whatever the circumstances may be or may become, they cannot affect that door in any way. They cannot open it, for Jesus has already done that, and they cannot shut it. Jesus won't allow it. And so we read in verse 7, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open If Jesus opens that door, then nothing that happens can shut it. If you or I were to die tomorrow, if our building burns down, if some one of us walks away from the faith, that door stays open. If our economy crashes, should our government collapse or a foreign army invade us, if we endure another attack like 9-11 or find ourselves in a war in other lands, that door remains open. Should persecution become open and brutal? Should our culture openly reject us and our values? And even as our government takes away our liberty and embraces alternate lifestyles, which are nothing more than a different name for sin and degradation, that door stands open. Nothing can shut it. And we have Jesus' word on it. The one who is holy and true has said so. He cannot lie. What he speaks is. We can trust him. He will not fail us. Jesus holds the keys of David, which is simply another way of saying that he holds the key of the kingdom, the keys of life and death. His authority is absolute. As we just read in our scripture reading, all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus and he has opened the door, and it is open. You can look over to those doors right there, and we can picture Jesus opening one of them and putting his back against it and holding it open. And Satan and all of his cohorts together would appear as mere mice or insects without the strength or power to close that door even if they even dared to come near it. All of the calamities which you could imagine that our world could heap on him and that Satan could throw at him, falling on Jesus as he held that door open would weigh no more on him than the dust on a head of a pin. The door that Christ has opened, no one can shut against his will. The message to us this morning is Christ Jesus has opened a door for us and nothing in the world, no circumstances nor wile of the devil can shut it. 
The last part of the message this morning is the door is open, but we must walk through it. As with all things, Christian, it is by faith that we walk through it, for whatever is not of faith is sin, as Romans tells us. And verse 11 points us in that direction when Jesus says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. There are those who will try to take your crown. Those who will try to rob you of your rewards. But they cannot do it if you hold on. Try as they might, they have no real power unless you give it to them. So Jesus says, hold on. Yet just what does it mean to hold on? You know, I'm afraid that the image that most of us have most of the time when we hear words like that is one where we are clinging to something like a fence post, hoping that we can hold on so the torrent swirling around us won't sweep us away. And maybe sometimes that's exactly what we're doing. The onslaught against our faith is threatening to tear us away, and all we can do is hang on, or as Paul says in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. So yes, sometimes we are just hanging on. But sometimes, surely, there has to be another picture in our hearts, isn't there? Don't we ever believe? that we are part of something larger than ourselves, that we're holding on to something like a mighty charger, a stallion as we rush forward into battle. With whatever little strength we have, with no weapon but our faith, we hold on and we're carried into battle to do our part as small as it may be. And if Jesus Christ has opened a door for us, then holding on means walking through that door by faith. And the truth is, is the only way you can go through that door is by faith. So he has opened a door for us that no one can shut, but we can refuse to go through. The world will try to deter you. The devil will try to derail you. Your own sinful nature will rebel against it. But in the end, it is you who chooses to walk through the door or not. And if we refuse to go through it, we lose our crown. Not our salvation, but our crown. If we refuse to go through the door, then the day will come when Jesus Christ himself will shut that door. And what he shuts, no one can open. Like a metal door in a bulkhead that's welded shut, no amount of pounding or shouting or pleading or even praying will open it. Circumstances in our world could not shut that door. Satan could throw all he wants against it, but it remains open. But we can refuse to walk through it, and Jesus himself will close it, and our opportunity will be gone. The message to us today is God has put an open door before us which no power on earth can shut, but we must walk through that. Which brings us back to the question, so just what is that door? You know, our God has already opened other doors for us through which most of us have already gone 
the door of faith for the Gentiles, the door into his kingdom and eternal life, which admits entrance but not exit. We are his forever. There's a door into the throne room of grace, and the doors opened in answer to prayer, and I am sure he has opened doors personally for you. Doors are, as the saying goes, sometimes windows just for you. But this door, this is a door of ministry, the door of sharing our faith, of seeing people brought into the kingdom of God, of seeing lives and eternity that will be changed forever because you were willing to walk through that door. Paul describes it variously as the door the Lord opened or a great door for effective work or a door God would open for the message proclaiming the mystery of Christ. The door which Christ has opened for us is a door to advance his kingdom on this earth. Is that all? Has all of it been leading up to that? Something that might be said to any church anywhere? Well, what were you expecting? Free season tickets to your favorite sports team? The winning lottery numbers? A chicken in every pot? Or, or maybe you thought you, we would become a mega church, or make a name for ourselves, or we would be trendsetters in the kingdom of Christ. No, you know, hearing those things, that's not who we are. We're not so vain as that. As a church, it's enough for us to be found faithful, to be found at our post, doing our duty out of love for God and for others. It's not, look at all they've done, spoken by the crowds that we long to hear, but well done, good and faithful servant, spoken by our Savior. Nor could we desire that this church alone be singled out for God's blessing. What we want for this church, we want for all of God's people. For the glory belongs to God. The kingdom belongs to all the saints. And the world, the whole world needs Christ. Yet it is not true that this message applies to any church anywhere. As much as we might wish it were true. Only one of the seven churches received that promise. Of the other six, five of them were not in a place where Christ could put such a door before them for whatever reason. And the sixth one, the church in Smyrna, had already gone through the door and was doing all it could under intense persecution. To have such a door set before us is a tremendous privilege and opportunity but it is also a challenge. You see, we're not yet through the door. God has brought us to this place, and Christ has been building his church, but in faith we must move forward. We've not yet arrived. And to go through that door will mean change. And changes which we cannot see or predict. As a church, we're going to find ourselves doing things we've never done before. We will be challenged in different ways and beyond our experience. Such things have already been happening here for a while now as Christ is preparing us for this uh, point in time. 
in our own lives and families, we'll find ourselves facing new challenges. And the changes which follow as we meet them, we will have no control over. Making that personal commitment to go with us through that door will bring you to decision points in your life that you have never imagined, to crossroads where the choice you make will change the course of your life and that of your loved ones. It will mean renewed and redoubled attacks by the enemy on the church and on our families because whether we like it or not, we are in a spiritual battle. You know, some are daunted by that fact and they give up without a fight, losing a prize beyond worth and taking what is, in the end, the harder and more difficult and more heartbreaking of all roads, the road to the surrender and becoming nothing but an impediment to those around them. And others rise to the call, knowing that Christ is with them, that they are invincible until their task is done, believing that their example and their sacrifice will clear the way for those who follow, and that home, sweet home, awaits their journey's end. The challenges, the changes, the battles are all met in the same way by placing our faith in Christ taking his yoke upon our shoulders and following him wherever he leads. Now you may be thinking, sitting there thinking, okay, but what do I have to do? That remains to be seen. The first step is always willing heart the door is open are you ready to go through it I believe in you I I believe you are more importantly Christ must think so he Open the door. Would you pray with me, please? Father, um, we know that left to ourselves on our own we can accomplish nothing at all but you haven't left us alone you first off have put us into a church with other believers whom we can strengthen and whom can strengthen us and beyond that you have placed your spirit in us to enable us to live this life you've called us to. You've given us your word to tell us the truth. And you have promised never to leave us nor forsake us. 
look to you. We acknowledge that, Jesus, you're the vine. We're but the branches. May we remain in you and you in us. And may we follow you wherever you lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, our brother Frank had a plane to catch. He had to go. <laughs>